To be quite honest, our desire is that this won't be just your first time here with us, but that you'll make the decision to make Downey First Christian Church uh, your church home. All right, let's give another round of applause. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Um, also, for, for those of you uh, who come here every Sunday, just a reminder, we are Christ ambassadors uh, in the places where we interact with people during the week. So feel free to invite them to church. Uh, this is a church of wide open doors, and we're so happy uh, when we uh, have visitors here. And uh, like we say every Sunday, we hope that they make Downey First Christian Church their church home. In fact, that, segs, that gives me a segue into, um, into this. So two Sundays from now, we're going to have our Christmas celebration on Sunday the 22nd. And I just, out of a show of hands, how many of you guys already know who you're going to bring that day? All right, all right. A few of you, a few of you. Okay. Now, honestly, we're praying and expecting 500 people uh, to show up. And honestly, they're not going to come if we don't bring them. Like, they're not going to just magically appear. I mean, I guess God can do whatever he's going to do. But if we don't bring people, we can't expect for them to be here. So I want you guys to think about this. Think about the person that you're going to bring. Um, you're going to get probably something in the mail this week, just kind of as a reminder. And we really want a packed house. And you're going to see some, uh, some changes on the stage. You're going to see some uh, new sound equipment. Uh, you're going to see some uh, new things as far as like uh, video technology and stuff like that. And all of these things is uh, as a result of your generosity and because we understand that we are here not just for ourselves, but we are here to also reach our cities. So we're expecting uh, for God to do something amazing on that day and not just on that day, but as we uh, move forward into the next year. Sound good? All right. Great. Great. Oh, one more thing. So we've been um, doing these, uh, the, the boxes, the, the, the shoe boxes for the uh, Tijuana, the, for the kids in Tijuana. 115 people in this church got a box, filled it, and did all the things that they had to do. And so this is great. This just shows how generous you are. And I am truly, truly blessed uh, to be part of this uh, church. Uh, oh, 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 I'm sorry. One more thing. I promise and we'll get into the message. For this day on, on uh, uh, December 22nd, we need volunteers. We need extra volunteers. We have volunteers, but we need extra volunteers for that day. So what does that mean? What, what do we need volunteers for? We need volunteers for people to greet. We need people to greet people as they're coming in. Uh, give them bulletins and stuff like that. So if you want to volunteer on that day, it's not a lifetime commitment. It's just for that day. I want you to write on your connection card, I would like to volunteer for the Christmas event and we will talk about it. We'll get in contact with you and tell you what it is. It's very easy, but we need a lot of people because we want to welcome the people that come here. We don't want to just accept the fact that they're here, but they want, we want them to feel welcome. So that's what uh, I want to challenge you to do. Uh, just write it on your connection card and you can put it uh, in the offering plate as, uh, as it passes by or in those boxes on the side. All right? Sound good? You guys still here? Good, good. All right. So Matthew chapter 18 is our verse uh, for today, is our scripture for today, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. I'm going I'm to read a few verses and then we're going we're to get into the message. So Matthew 18, 
says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and he goes into a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. Like when Jesus was telling the story, the people around him, they were just gasping because 10,000 bags of gold was like about $7 billion. So it's not, just, it's not something that he could have uh, ever dreamed of paying. It was something that was impossible to pay. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So this is like a few hundred dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees, just like he did, and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But what did he do? He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, the one who had been forgiven $7 billion, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that our hearts will be open this morning to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that my heart will be open to hear from you and to speak life into our congregation, Lord. I pray, Lord, that everything that we talk about this morning as we go into your word and discover what it is that you have for us, that this will be life-transforming, Lord. I pray like I pray every Sunday that you will do what only you can do, which is use me as a vessel to be able to bless others, Lord. We pray this and we thank you and Jesus and we pray and all those people said... Amen. All right, so we're actually finishing uh, a series called Under Pressure, and I hope that you have been blessed. I hope that as a result of everything that we've been talking about through the past weeks, that you have felt a bit, a bit of alleviation of the pressure in your life. We've been talking about comparison. We've been talking about guilt. We talked about grace and truth. We talked about judgment. We talked about purpose. We even talked about time management, if you remember. That was one of the first uh, sermons. And today we conclude with forgiveness, with forgiveness. So as we talk about forgiveness, I want to bring you to a crucial moment in the life of Christ. This is the moment when Christ is on the cross. So we find it in John 19:30. This is Jesus on the cross. It says this, when he had received the drink, Jesus says, said, it is finished. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
It is finished. So today we're talking about forgiveness. And what I want us to discover today is that there is a direct correlation between our understanding of what it means when Jesus said it is finished and our ability to forgive. In other words, if we understand what Jesus meant with those words, we will be able to forgive like Jesus forgave. If we understand that more, we'll be able to forgive more. If we understand that less, we'll be able to forgive less. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. But before I get into the message, I want to talk to you guys about Chiloé. Does anyone know what Chiloé is? Not Chile, Chiloé. My son's raising his hand. My other son is raising their hand because they know. Uh, some of you guys know I was a pastor in Chile, in South America, Chile, for six years. And not only did we have that church, but we also had three churches in the islands of Chiloé, which is an archipelago that's down south of Chile. And so we would visit uh, Chiloé, and it was a very primitive life that they had there. And part of their uh, tradition when we would visit is that they would kill a goat. And I think I have some images of Chiloé, and I have some images of the goat. So that's Chiloé right there. And then that's... Uh, sort of like a, a normal thing that we would watch there, that they would do. And it was very interesting because my son Matthew and I, we went there several times, and it was kind of a hard thing to watch because you would see, you would see this goat kind of wandering around, and they're like, okay, so that's the one we're going to eat later. And so they would grab the goat, and they would hang it, and they would cut its throat, and they would get all the blood first because they would make... Um, uh, like these blood sausages out of them. And then they would skin it and they would do this whole process. And that was just part of the thing that they would do. So you would be eating dinner and you would actually met the person that, that you were having, the animal that you were having for dinner, which was kind of an interesting thing. And the reason why I talk about that is because that's a tradition uh, in Chiloé. It's just part of life. And, and animal sacrifice is just part of the life in Chiloé, which brings me to the traditions of the Jewish culture in the Old Testament. Animal sacrifices weren't just for food, but animal sacrifices were also for something that we call atonement. Atonement. What is atonement? Atonement is a sacrifice in, in a replacement for someone else. So we sacrifice an animal, and that animal represents us. Like that should have happened to us. And so we see this throughout the whole Old Testament. We see it with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21, where God provided clothing for them, which was a result of an animal sacrifice that they did. Cain and Abel. So Abel uh, offers, offers a sacrifice of the firstborn of his flock for atonement for their sins. We see Noah in the Old Testament after the flood offers animal sacrifices for God. We see Abraham uh, God asked him to offer his son Isaac on the altar and is replaced for a ram that God provided uh, for them. Even in the Old Testament through the New Testament, we see the Pharisees uh, doing this whole idea of the, the, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. What was the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement was a day where the high priest would come before the altar and would kill two animals, would offer one as a sacrifice uh, for the people, and then would offer what, they, what we call, or they call the scapegoat that would be released uh, into the desert. All that were sacrifices for the atonement. And even as we uh, go into our present period of time, we have uh, what they call Yom Kippur. Uh, the Jewish tradition, I think, is in September where they still have this day of atonement. But today we think about animal sacrifices, and we're like, man, that's so hard to watch. Because they're these innocent animals that are being sacrificed. But that's actually the point. The point is, these are animals that are innocent, that were serving as substitute for us, so that the animal dies in replacement for us. All the way up to our present period of time. 
Which is really interesting because, because all of those animal sacrifices from the past, we see the author of Hebrews talking about those things as a shadow of the present. So all these things, all these animal sacrifices were, were pointing towards something. They weren't ends in themselves. They were pointing towards something more important. Uh, Hebrews uh, 10.1 says this. Hebrews 10.1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. What does that mean? All this was, there were representations of something that was going to happen in the future. Which makes me think of the time when I was, I was living here in the United States, I was finishing off my master's degree, and my wife and my kids, they had to go back to Chile. And so we didn't see each other for three months. And so I, we would talk on the phone. I could see pictures of, of her. I could see pictures of my kids. You know, we did some Skype. But it wasn't, it wasn't enough. It wasn't real. Like, I wanted to be with her. I wanted to be with my kids. And so all this was almost like a preparation. And I knew the time was coming when I was finally going to be able to see my wife and my kids. And as time uh, went along, I was getting more and more excited. And then finally, I was able to see my family again. You see, the same is, is true with, with uh, this whole idea of the animal sacrifices. They were pointing toward something. They were a shadow of the real thing. They were not permanent. So what happens? What happens? So John the Baptist is baptizing. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He's baptizing, and all of a sudden, he sees Jesus. And John 1, uh, 29 says this. He says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why does he say this? He's saying this because the real thing had arrived finally. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world was now present. And so Jesus comes into the world. John already knows what's going to happen. Jesus comes into the world. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He teaches us how to live. And then he sacrifices on the cross. Which brings us back to the moment that I was talking about in the beginning. And he says, it is finished. Now, what does that mean? What is finished? Well, the sacrificial system is finished. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, says this. God made him, God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No more animal sacrifices, no more high priest, no more annual renewal of the redemption for the people. Every sacrifice led up to this climactic moment to where Jesus is on the cross and says, it is finished. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. What an amazing forgiveness. The sin of our past, our present, and our future are forgiven. This is so important. So important. So my question is, do we understand this? Do we understand this? We can say, yes, I understand it because, because blah, 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 and then all the animal sacrifices and all these things, you know. Do we understand the fact that we have been forgiven? Do we understand the, the, the magnitude of the forgiveness that we have received? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. I heard this joke, and it's a terrible joke, but I love it. It's so bad, but it's so good. So 
so there's this person that dies and goes to heaven. And so he, he encounters uh, St. Peter, and St. Peter welcomes him to heaven. And he, he looks around, and he sees all these clocks on the walls. And he's wondering, what, what are all these clocks all around, all around the walls? And then St. Peter tells him, well, well, each one of these clocks represents a person who's died. And, and um, every clock is running at a different speed. And so he's wondering, well, why are different clocks running at different speeds? He says, well, there's a direct correlation between the speed of the clock and the amount of sins that the person has committed. So when you see clocks that are going fast, that means that a person has committed lots of sins. When a clock is going slow, that means that that person hasn't committed that many sins. So he looks to a wall and he, see, he sees one of these clocks that's going very, very slow. And he says, well, who, whose clock is that? He says, well, that's Billy Graham's clock. And then he sees another clock that, that barely was moving. He's like, that one's barely moving. He's like, well, it's actually moving, but it's moving very, very, very slow, almost imperceptible. And whose clock is that? He says, well, that's, um, that's Mother Teresa's clock. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then, so he asked St. Peter, well, where's my clock? And he says, well, actually, your clock I keep in my office as a fan when it's hot. <laughs> so, okay. I didn't know. I love that joke. It's bad. I know. It's not the best. But, but... The point is, I guess, the point is, if, if you went to heaven, how fast would your clock move? How many sins have you committed in your whole life? How many sins did you commit yesterday? How many sins did you commit on your way to, to church today? How many per day? Let's say one, one per day? One sin per day? No? More? How about two sins per day? More sins? So let's just say that you commit five sins per day. That means that, that for example, me, by age 50, I will have committed 91,250 sins. And that's not even counting the sins of, of omission. And, and Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all, or even the righteous acts, are like filthy rags. So we are all sinners. And so we've talked about this before. The, the myth that sometimes we believe is that when we get baptized, that our sins are left in the water and that now we walk this perfect life. And we've talked before about the fact that, that God doesn't, doesn't change us from, from bad to good, but from dead to alive. And not from, from sinners to perfect, but from condemned to forgiven. And this is so important. So my question is, do we get this? Do we understand this? We're going to say yes and have a whole theological answer. Yeah, because of substitution and redemption and imputation and propitiation and all these fancy words. And we can say I'm no longer part of the sacrificial system and blah, 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 because I understand it in my mind. But there's only one way for you to know if you actually understand what Jesus meant when he says it is finished on that cross. There's only one way for you to understand it. There's only way for me to understand it, which brings us back to the parable. You see, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And when you hear a parable, you, have to, you always have to think that, that there's someone in the parable that represents you, and there's another person in the parable that represents God. And so in this parable of the person that had been forgiven these 10,000 bags of gold, you are the guy. I am the person. You are the person. I am the person that was that owed the 10,000 bags of gold. And, and we are the people who had been forgiven that debt. And we can stand in awe of the person 
that, that was strangling the other guy because he owed him $300. And we can say, I can't believe it. Didn't he, doesn't he understand what he had been forgiven from? How can he do that? In fact, if he understood what he had been forgiven from, he would have, he would have let it go. There's a direct correlation between the two things. If he truly understood it, it would be so easy for him to just forget about the few bucks. So this clearly, we can say, this clearly shows that he doesn't understand the forgiven that he had been received, that he received, right? Okay, so let's flip it then. You see, we can talk and seem to understand and even articulate the forgiveness that we have received. All the things that I said at the beginning, we can say them. But there's only one way for us to truly understand whether or not we fully understand the magnitude of the forgiveness that we have received. It's this simple. If you forgive others. That's what it is. So how are you doing? Is there someone in your life that you have trouble forgiving? I know I do. Family, friends, someone that owes you money, someone that owes you an apology, someone that, that, that did something that was unfair to you, someone who abused you in some way. And if your mind is now filling up with reasons why he or she doesn't deserve forgiveness, we have to come back to the story. You see, the guy that, that owed this guy $300, he did actually owe him that money. Like, he did. Should, should he have paid him back? Yes. Was he entitled to demand his money back? Yes. And the same is true for you. You were entitled. You see, does this person owe you an apology? Yes. Were you a victim of an injustice? Yes. Are you entitled to demand restitution toward you? Yes, you are. However, what you do or not do in this situation determines whether you actually understand what you've been forgiven from. This is why Jesus tells this parable to Peter. He's actually telling this parable that we just talked about. He's telling this parable to Peter. And he tells him this story because he's answering a question that Peter asked him. Do you guys remember the question? Matthew 18. Let's go to Matthew 18, 21. What does he say? He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? He thought he was being generous because, you know, the, the culture said, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know, and he said up to seven. It's like, okay, up to seven? He's like, no, what's the answer? He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times times. Now, he, it's, it's very important to understand that he's not using literal language. He's not saying, once you've done it 77 times, then you're off the hook. You don't have to forgive anymore. No, what he's saying is that there is no limit for the amount of times you need to forgive someone. You see, the standard is always Jesus. Always Jesus. As Jesus was dying, as he was being tortured, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the extent. This is our example, which leaves us, I am sorry, no excuses. You see, for us as Christians, forgiveness is not an option. Sorry, unforgiveness is not an option. <laughs> it's a small tweak in the, most of, most of you didn't even get it. I was like, wait a minute, that was kind of weird, right? Just to be clear, for us as Christians, 
Unforgiveness is not, it was actually in my notes, forgiveness is not an option. Unforgiveness is not an option. In fact, when we read Philippians chapter 2, which is a very, very well-known verse, I'm going to just read it real quick. Uh, in your relationships with, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death to a cross. Why does Paul say this? What the context of what he's saying. He's restoring relationships. That's why at the beginning he says, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He's using Jesus as an example for the rest. He's using Jesus as a restoration tool. Like, look at what Christ did. Look at the sacrifice that Christ did. Look at you and your interactions with one another. When you look at Christ and not one another as a reference, that's what you need to do for to forgive others. And here's our mistake. Here's our mistake. Our mistake is that we use others as reference whether or not to forgive or not. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this whole idea of marriage and talks about submitting to one another. And it says submit to one another out of reverence to who? To Christ. Not as reverence to one another. He says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because if we don't take our cues of forgiveness, if we, if we take our cues of forgiveness from one another, like, we're going to have a really hard time forgiving each other because most of the time, the person that we have to forgive, we feel doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But if we use Christ as a cue, that makes things a lot, a lot better. We think about Stephen when he was being stoned to death. He found the strength to say what? He said, don't count this against him as he was being stoned to death by his enemies. What did he do? How did he find the strength to do that? He looked at Christ. He looked at Jesus. You see, if we're not able to forgive our brother and sister, we have not understood the forgiveness of God. And if we use anything other than Jesus as a reference, we will not find the strength to forgive. That's why he, that's why he says in Corinthians, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus is always the standard. Now, you may say, I already, I already forgave them. I don't even talk to them anymore. They're old news. They're dead to me. Okay, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> that is not forgiveness. Do you want to know how to know if you've actually forgiven someone? Do you want to know what the Bible says about that? This verse was, is going to give us the, the cue. Like if you can do this, you've forgiven. Matthew chapter 5 says this, verse 43. says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your, love, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you know if you have forgiven your brother, your sister, your co-worker, etc.? How do you know? Well, can you pray for them? If you can't genuinely love them and pray for them, you've got work to do. I've got work to do. You see, for us as Christians, forgiveness is not optional. It is not optional. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but listen to this. The burden that you carry, the burden that I carry, the burden of unforgiveness that we carry is much heavier than the step we need to take to forgive. There's a step that you need to take to forgive. And that step is much easier to do than to carry the burden of unforgiveness. This is so important. In fact, I'm going to close with this. 
There's this torture, this Roman torture that I heard about once. It's a terrible torture. The Romans were experts in torture. They perfected the art of torture. They did horrible things. And one of the things that they would do is if you killed someone, you murdered someone, and you were convicted for murder, one of the things that they would do is they would tie the person that you murdered to your own body. Like the dead person was tied to your body. You had to carry this person that you had killed. And so the body that you were carrying would start to decompose and the decomposition of this body would start decomposing your own body so the dead would end up killing the person who was alive. And that's such a powerful image. And when I think about that, I think about forgiveness. And I think about the fact that maybe you're here and you've been carrying this person or these people that you have not been able to forgive and it is very possible that this burden has been sort of killing your spirit. And so the calling of this morning is for you to, to let it go. It sounds so easy. It's time to forgive. It's time to forgive. You see, when you forgive, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And that prisoner is actually you. You're not setting the other person free. The other person is probably not even aware that you have this against them. It's probably not even aware that you have this against them. And even, it's possible that even this person that you haven't forgiven, maybe they've left this world. Maybe they're dead. It's very possible. It is time to let it go. So my question is, how are you doing? Because maybe you're here and you're waiting for an apology. Maybe you're thinking, how can I forgive them if they haven't even come to me to apologize? There's no sign of repentance. Well, if you're waiting for a sign of repentance, you may be waiting your entire life. Forgive anyway. Forgive anyway. So, in the name of Jesus, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And this moment is for you. This is for you. I pray that no one looks around. Just, just think about what we've talked about. What I, what I said earlier is that there is a direct correlation between our understanding of the forgiveness of God and our ability to forgive. In other words, the more we understand the forgiveness of God, the more we're going to be able to forgive. But honestly, it also works the other way. Our ability to grasp the forgiveness of God also increases when we make the decision to forgive. You may say, Pastor, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. Well, do it anyway. You will receive freedom, I promise you. It's time to take a step. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to talk to a person. Maybe you need to, to do a prayer for them. Maybe you need to send a text message. Maybe there's a letter that you need to write. Maybe you need to write a note of someone that you need to forgive, someone that you may never see again, or maybe someone that is already gone, and you need to write a letter of forgiveness, and then you need to burn that letter. I don't know what it is that you need to do, but I promise you that the burden of unforgiveness is so much heavier than the burden of the step that you need to take to be able to forgive. So if you need help with this, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and, and not, not look around. If you need help with this, I just want you to raise your hand real quick, and I want to pray for you. Amen. 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 Lord God, this is not easy. This is not easy, Lord. This is hard. I recognize that. I want to thank you for the hands that were raised, for these people that need help. I know I need help as well. 
And I understand all the reasons that we have, all the hurt that we have. I understand that there's things that we've been through, abuses that we've been victims of. I, I understand that, Lord. I, I recognize that, God. But I pray, Lord, that we will be open to take the next step in forgiveness. Whatever it is that we need to do, that we will do it. And I believe, I truly believe, God, that there's a direct correlation between also us understanding and becoming closer to you as a result of forgiving, even though they don't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. They don't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. But neither did we. I pray that that will enter our hearts, Lord, and that will set us free. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you have forgiven us so much. I pray that we will do the same to others, that we'll use you always as a reference. You're the standard, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.